2: The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. You can put your money to work by automating your savings and investments. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash save and invest.
3: All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This summer, Marcus makes me do this voice, so I'm going to do it every once in a while just to keep him happy with me. All right, I don't want to be on the bad side of that. Nope. Um, yeah. <laughs> Not a good place to be. We've got a great guest in store today, but before we do that, let's jump into a great a little Patreon question. I'm nervous about this one. What Netflix show would you be most embarrassed to admit that you have binge-watched?
0: You're asking me that? It's all of us. We all, all have to we answer. Have to, what's all, yours? You know, I, I, I'm not even sure what's on Netflix, but I would say some kind of ballroom dancing. I, I probably <laughs> wouldn't want to be associated with that. <laughs> 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 I'll
3: tell you which one. Got, uh, was it The Bling Life that Maria showed?
1: Oh, for sure. It's, Is I that don't, what it's called? I don't think so, but it's an Asian <laughs> um, TV series. It's a reality show. It's a reality
3: show. Uh, they're dyna- they're they're like lineage to the to a dynasty out of out one some, of them one is. of the dynasties right and I mean he's a one of guys a surgeon I mean they're high scale living
1: it's like the the richest Asians in Hollywood yeah oh. or but they're not associated with like movies but like sure. they live in that area and it's a reality show following them around and to see the amount of money they spend like just on their kit. like they'll buy these Gucci. Uh, diaper wraps and like just crazy stuff like spending a an absurd yeah, that, that. amount of money. <laughs> Anyways, that one got me. But we both like, I watched, sat the, whole watched the whole thing.
3: I, I, I'm fans of theirs, right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> we actually started to like some of the some I, of the people. Were like, oh my god, they got they'd to the point was
3: so first. extravagant. I was like, I was impressed. Yeah, you know, I was like, I, I, you know, I can't even just get yeah. mad anymore. Yeah. It was like, dude, I, I'm just impressed how well y'all do that.
1: Yeah, and then they have one poor Asian that's like their token poor friend that nice. they let <laughs> hang out with them. Oh yes, right, and yeah, and we're like, we're that person yeah. because <laughs> i mean the the it's so yeah if, you, if you have
3: true Asian if you have a true Asian friend they'll, they'll, you'll know this like yeah. they, they don't have a lot of white friends like if they yeah. say that you're part of the white friend family it's a blessing we, yeah. we, we managed to get that call yeah. that's how we wound up watching yeah. that show. Life. one of my
1: best friends is uh Vietnamese and she's the one that told us about it and she calls us her token white friend yeah so nice. yeah.
3: it's a hard call to get I'm honored to have it I don't care you know bitch or
2: you won't yeah whatever <laughs> Mel- you got another one Melanie
1: I would agree with that I it's, I don't really like reality type stuff, but that show, it had my full attention. Yeah. I was so enamored with just their lifestyle. It It's so bizarre to me. It was stuff that I never thought people would spend money on. Yeah. Um, that I'm like, this is really happening in this today's is, this is time. Real? This yeah. isn't like king and king royalty. Oh, oh I'll tell you, you what
3: <laughs> it is, man. It's the fact that, okay, so they they have, they live in modern day extravagance, but they follow old customs and traditions. Uh huh. Or they try. They try. <laughs> they try because the, the elders are still there. No, yeah, yeah, it's funny to watch them dance through all that. It truly is.
1: Yeah. And then to like see them try to go to the grocery store well, and buy something. I think this normal. might be the best promo
3: they've ever had in their entire right. life, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: I don't think we have the name. The of name's it, like, right. The name's not right. Yeah, we, I'm
3: totally
4: messing that <laughs> up. I, it's
2: a new show. You bling <laughs> life. You can't miss it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it should be called Crazy Rich Asians, but that's a movie. Yeah, and someone it's already not had that, that one. Yeah, it's not it's that. Not that. <laughs> it's something like that though.
2: Yep. Oh my gosh, John, you got one. Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. Mm. Grey's Anatomy. Didn't you like that That's show?
3: That's a lovely show. <laughs> yeah. show. So I, I, I agree yeah. now, but I did not at first. And my wife was a big fan, and I used to make fun of her for watching it because of the soap opera aspect. But then I started watching
2: it with her from the beginning, and I like Grey's Anatomy. And mm. I just admitted it. I think Marcus <laughs> loved that show. I admitted it. Yeah. <laughs> he said it's a lovely show. Yeah. yeah. That's it,
1: the doctor one, right? Yeah. yeah. I never watched it, but I know when we first met, you had liked that show.
2: Yeah.
3: Uh, what was it? Grimp? Supernatural? Oh, mm, yeah, that's yeah. a good
1: one. Oh, we love Supernatural.
3: Yeah. Uh, so many. One,
2: man. There's so many. Love yeah. is Blind is this terrible I've watched that show one. on Netflix right now where they these couples, I guess couples, these uh, single men and women, they get into these pods. They can't see each other. They have no technology. They have no idea who's on the other side of the wall. And they just have to get to know each other for the first few weeks. And then they pick the person based on just conversations that they had to marry uh, them. Uh-huh. Well, and they propose... In the in these pods. No. And the first time they meet is after completely that's being the way we did it. love is blind.
1: Yeah, but that's terrible.
2: <laughs> the way we did it? <laughs> we no. Said it? Yeah. <laughs> she, she said it. She said it out loud.
1: We, we didn't have. How about did, that, Mike? We did not <laughs> have. All right, bro, let's go. <laughs> no, that's not right.
3: Our courtship was awesome.
1: <laughs> he moved in with me the day after we met.
3: I said it was awesome. I said it was awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Well, we have got a great guest in store. Mike Etor is a retired Marine Corps infantry officer and a decorated combat leader. He developed a reputation for being an exceptionally effective mentor and developer of leaders. Mike, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Big fan.
3: I appreciate that, man. Thank you again for doing this. We're looking forward to it's, uh, to hearing and learning all about you. So basically what we do when we bring people on here, it's uh, reconnecting the family. You have a skill set in your life, man, and and, uh, in the the big search of things, it's for wisdom. Like as you go through life, man, y'all have the ability as you age is rank, and you can shorten up that wisdom into a few words and deliver it to where it's impactful and people, man, they just it resonates with them, and that's because life's the one thing that molded it. So yeah,
1: yeah. Well, let's hear your story. You can start from the start. Give us a whole background about you.
0: Sure. Well, I uh, was. Born in New York State, Schenectady, New York. Took a lot of crap for that my whole career because you know your home, you know your date of birth, home of birth, uh, you know Schenectady. Who the hell's heard of Schenectady? (laughs) So I moved to New Jersey. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. Where's that at? Schenectady is about a half an hour south of Albany. Uh, So I've never heard of that. Dead center, yeah. Schenectady is where General Electric started. There's still a General Electric plant, and my. Grandfather Giuseppe Etor came from Italy and worked at General. That's a great name. That's where. Uh, yep. And so I I lived there for ten years. All I remember about it is three three and four feet snowfalls. No kidding. Never had a snow day in school. Moved to New Jersey. My dad worked for uh, the government. And you'll recognize this, Marcus. My dad was a weapons tester, and so at, at age ten we moved to New Jersey so my dad could work at Picatinny Arsenal. Oh yeah. And uh, he was actually, in the mid-60s, uh, one of the testers for the M16, oh. the early M16. So he had pictures of himself with all sorts of variants to include an M16 variant that fired, belt-fed from a backpack. Oh, wow. Um,
4: hey, that uh, did, that's pretty cool.
3: I've always been—that's that, a great, conversa- great conversation to have with anybody from the military. It's like, man, I'm going to throw that sucker in a backpack and let it just feed yeah. over your shoulder, right?
0: Yeah, it didn't work. No, I yeah, no. oh, yeah. know. Oh <laughs> we're still
3: trying to get that
0: circuit. <laughs> yeah, and and, uh, and and skipping ahead a little bit, he uh, when I was in Beirut, my unit got the only four Mark Nineteens in existence at the time, and my dad had worked on and tested those machines. Really, they sent yeah sent them to Beirut, and the uh, the bad guys hated hate them. them. Yeah, hated them. Absolutely hated them. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, the first time I'd ever seen it um, was somebody using it in, in combat. So quite impressive.
3: Right, let me tell you something. Anyway, some boys get good at that thing. Like, they'll just sit there, that's what they train on. Marines are great at that. Like, most yeah. every other unit in, 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 uh, in our militaries, they don't specialize in, in, in those particulars. Man, yeah. do you find somebody who gets good at that sucker? Stand by. They'll rain down death on you all day.
0: It, absolutely and the m203 grenade launcher was new back then 1982 time frame and the uh the the bad guys uh saw those weapons and dubbed them rocket rifles oh, they yeah. just ha- they just hated it because sure. they couldn't hear the projectile coming so it was it was a great weapon so uh, anyway new jersey uh stayed there until i went to high school went to a, a public high school um you know, played sports. I was a wrestler. Wrestler, third grade all the way through college. Um, at high school graduation, seventeen years old, I graduated on a Wednesday. Monday, I was at Paris Island. So oh, seventeen wow. years old. So Paris Island. Tuesday, I wondered what the hell I'd done. You know, <laughs> right?
3: <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, that's a thing. That's an actual moment. I think we all do that. We're like, yeah. wouldn't wonder hell what the hell I'd what done. Hell so I,
0: uh, you know, ma- went through boot camp, infantry, marine. Um, things were different back then guys were, you know, it was post Vietnam promotions became, were very, very fast. So I became a 19 year old Sergeant and a 20 year old drill instructor. I was a very young, dr- in wow. fact, I was the youngest drill instructor in the Marine Corps at the time and actually graduated my first recruit platoon when I was 20. Um, so you're already Marine rest- and
3: training men at 20.
0: That's it was a big deal. And I, you know, the Marine Corps trusted me. Um, and I tried uh, very, very hard to live up to that trust. I went through DI school, which was a great school, best military school I'd ever gone through professionally run exacting. Um, and I was one of the very, very few non-Vietnam veterans there. I mean, I was looking at you know, guys in my squad, you know, two silver stars. Oh yeah, purple sure. Hearts, I didn't you know, think about it, that.
3: Right. Yeah. It was,
0: it was a big deal. So I was the absolute baby of the class and took no small amount of shit for it, Uh, but it was all good natured. My squad instructor, his first, his name was Gunnery Sergeant Mata. He had broken time. He had actually been Chesty Puller's Jeep driver in Korea. Uh That's all you got to say about that, dude. You kidding me? And he, he can't be no chump and drive them guys around. No, no, this guy was awesome. (laughs) So he was introducing himself to us. He got us in a little room and said, yeah, I'm, I'm Gunnery Sergeant Hector Mata. And he's talking. He goes, my first tour as a drill instructor was 1956. Well, I'm like a dumb shit. And I'm like, Gunny, that's the year I was born. <laughs> and of course, everybody turns around, looks at me like, you've got to be kidding me, you know? And he's like, yeah, thanks, e I, I really needed yeah, that, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, we're, and we're so a uh, that, that, was a, that was a good start. But he was he was a great guy. So did two years on the drill field, um, and decided that I wanted to go to college. Um, I was not interested in college out of high school. wouldn't have made it. I would, would have been one of those one-semester guys and done. But once I got in, as, as I'm sure you saw, Marcus, you saw the power of, of a degree. Um, and I also saw the, the, another powerful example was I, I had great officers. I really was exposed to great officers Until I went to the depot at San Diego, the recruit depot, and I still had many great ones, but I started running into some average ones and a couple below average ones as well. And it gave me incentive to say, you know, I can do this. In fact, I'm a better officer right now than that guy, except I'm wearing stripes and I'm never going to be able to be an officer unless I go to school. So I got out with four years, one enlistment, went to college, phys ed major, uh, with the sole intention, I, and I wrestled, it was a D1 program, sole intention of going, getting a, a degree, going back in as an infantry officer. And that's what I did. So I spent four years of college. E, back then, it was a state college called East Stroudsburg State College. Where's and that at? The, it's in uh, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, north of Allentown, about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, two hours north of Philadelphia, uh, Poc- Pocono Mountains. It's a big honeymoon resort area. Uh, Delaware Water Gap. It was only about a half hour away from where I grew up in New Jersey across the border. And some buddies of mine that, you know, when I went to the Marines, they went to college to wrestle. They were just finishing up and they said, why don't you come in? So I was very fortunate. The coach, just on the recommendations of them and my high school coach, um, brought me in and, and gave me money. And so with that and the GI Bill, I was hooked up. The problem was I'd never taken the SATs and I didn't want to take the SATs. I'm not good at math at all. Writing, no problem. Math, no. And so they, he got me into this program, no kidding, that was the summer program. He said, if you make it through this program, we'll admit you in the fall as a regular freshman. And the program was designed for ghetto kids. They were taking kids out of the ghetto and giving them a second chance at life. And it was a real life event for me, guys. I I sat there as a 22-year-old right out of the Marine Corps, like days out of the Marine Corps. And I ran into really good people, some of whom were 20 years old, couldn't read. Oh, Oh, wow! High school graduates couldn't read. And I mean, the math that we were doing was probably fourth fourth grade level addition, subtraction, and some of them couldn't do it. So you talk about seeing... You, know, you hear about underprivileged kids and kids that are doomed by their, you know, where they were born and all that. I ran into that. Yeah. We probably had a hundred kids in that class, and I would say less than 20 of them survived the summer. Yeah. And of that, probably less than 10 of them actually graduated from college. So I was not much of a student in high school, but I was good enough to, you know, to ace that course. So I got through. Again, I was a phys ed major, loved it, figured it out uh, quickly, enjoyed college. Um, and I realized uh, that I, I did, was going to go back in. So I went to OCS, just regular OCS, like I'd never been in before. Some, my, my junior summer, it's called the platoon leaders class, 10 weeks. And, and that was really good. It was a, it, OCS was a great course, much more physically demanding than boot camp. Um, much more, and uh, amusingly, many really? of the, the, the yeah, Marine oh, Corps boot camp. Oh yeah, much more. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because um,
3: not to cut you off, sir, but to, so yeah. people know this: if you join for the military and say I joined in the Navy, I went to Navy boot camp. You join the Air Force, you go to Air Force boot camp. Marines go to Marine Corps boot camp, so so forth and so on. If you get out. And, and go to a different branch of service, you have to go through their boot camp. Marine yeah. Corps is the only one you don't have to do that. If you're yeah, a Marine, yeah. you can go into any service. Yes. You don't have to go back through their boot camps.
0: Yeah, I, I, I know that. You're absolutely right. So to, to clear up any confusion, I agree that f- physically, PT-wise, Marine Corps boot camp, you know, conventional boot camp, not special ops, not BUDS, is, is by and away the toughest one. The philosophy of Marine Corps boot camp, though, is you come here, we're going to get you in shape. Yeah. The philosophy for OCS is you come here, the very best you are. We're not getting you in shape. Sure, we're evaluating you got to want that, that. Like, right, right, right away. Right, yeah. In fact, if you show up out of shape, they'll, they'll DQ you. You say, you're not what we're looking for. Yeah. We told you what to prepare for. So the PFT maximum in Marine Corps is 300 points. And I would say, When recruits show up you know a platoon average might be 210 and an officer candidate platoon the platoon average is probably 285 and so it's it's much and so they and they use physical training to weed you out in fact one of your frogman buddies who i've talked to mike sorelli he went through marine corps ocs and he said the same thing. He said it was much harder than uh, much harder than anything I thought it was going to be. Much harder than Marine Corps boot camp. Yeah. Um, and so uh, now I don't want to make it overly dramatic. It just that it no, no, was no, no. Much I, I much understand
3: what you're saying. I, I hear yeah. you loud and clear. I mean, that, yeah. I that that's why I was saying that. That's a respect thing. If, if, if yeah, those are the cases. There's <laughs> man, there's programs that we have in the military that first of all, most people don't know about. Yeah. There's such a kick in the shorts that. Like, it, it, If you show up there and you don't, just like you said, you don't cut it. it, You can't complain. No. There's a standard.
0: (laughs) No, no. That's the best part. Yeah. And one amusing thing that happened at, at OCS was many of the drill instructors at OCS, I had been a drill instructor with at San Diego. A couple of them I had actually trained.
3: Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, came so, back around on you, did it?
0: Yeah. So, well, not not really, but I was, so I got a shaved head. I'm looking like any other officer candidate. We're on like a four mile run through the woods and I'm running and I can see drill instructors coming, they have a different shirt on and I'm running and they're running the other way. And I realize I know both of them. I don't say a word and they look and they look at me like like, they don't right, right. What that's. What I was the going to
3: ask the blink. You know that blink they, look where you're like, yeah, "What are you? Yeah. How yes. are you? So they stop me
0: <laughs> and they peek around my back because my name is stenciled on the back, and they're like, <laughs> like "What in the hell are you doing here?" Going to be an officer, and they're like, "Why?" I said, "I don't think I'd make gunnery sergeant." So I figured the next best thing, if right, I can't right. make gunning, I'll be a, it's easier to become a lieutenant, you know? So obviously I was joking, but that was very, very interesting, you know, to, to, to go through that. Um, so 10 weeks, made it, um, went back for my senior year of college, um, graduated, and then to Quantico, Virginia, you know, to the pipeline, went to the basic school for six months, uh, very good school. And then infantry officer, course, for another three, which is a great school. I mean, it really was a very, very good school. I felt fully prepared, left there, went to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, reported into 2nd Battalion, 8th Marines, which had been the very first battalion in Beirut, very peaceful at the time, and they were getting ready to go back a second time. So Beirut was the only thing that had happened for a long, long time since Vietnam. So everybody wanted to be in that battalion, and I just got sure. lucky you know i got yeah. lucky you know, that's how it works
3: money. i mean you it can't if you, if you if just we just say luck. that in the military all the time if you chase it you'll never find it you'll always be right. behind it or in front of it it's kind of like you yes. stay stay yes kind of uh, and it's hard that's the hardest thing to do especially if you're in between like after nam and then it was before the storms so i mean the Beirut yeah. guys and uh, what else do we have panama and some other st- i mean there was some those but yeah oh, yeah that's a, that's a real thing Yeah, and we don't ever talk about that. That's the stuff in the military that, unless you were in, you couldn't, you wouldn't know it.
0: You're exactly right. Um, um, we can talk about that a little bit more when I when I finish the history. I think you'll probably ask a question or two. Um, so went to Lebanon, like I said, we took the unexpected right turn, went to Grenada. And This is you know, pre-internet. This is 1983, and so we we literally where the hell's Grenada? You know, <laughs> right. and someone found an encyclopedia Hold in the ship's library. Where is it? Gotten no clue.
3: That's what I thought. No clue. Gl- Go ahead. No clue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, it's I'll just proving your point. <laughs> about 75 miles off of the northeast coast of South America. Uh, if you look to the right, you'll see uh, Dominican Republic, Virgin Islands, you know, some of the Caribbean islands. So it is it is a Caribbean island. Yeah. Um, a former British colony. It's called the Spice Island. I guess the main product was nutmeg. Yeah and the reason why we went there is that the cubans proxied by the soviets had gone in there taken over the place there was a military coup but they had built about a ten thousand foot runway capable of landing and taking off the heaviest soviet bombers and reagan said ain't happening you know so we, they already he already had the crosshairs on grenada then the Cubans did something very stupid. They and the bad guy militia on Grenada took two medical schools hostage. Oh yeah, I remember that. And in those medical schools were jammed full of American students. So now we go there, and that's what it was. It was a it was a rescue mission of the students, which which specifically the Army Rangers did, and they did a great job, kick ass job. I was up on a mountaintop watching it. Boy, it was it was a spectacle and and to restore democracy um so there was a military coup the guy that was the, the the favored guy by the soviets on the island maurice bishop got killed by one of his buddies so the whole place was in turmoil yeah. and and it was one of the one of the few times i think when american troops went somewhere they really did meet us in the streets, cheering us, you know, women coming out, giving us their babies to kiss. They were so happy to see us um, because they had been brutally oppressed uh, by the Cubans. Um, And so I didn't run into any Cubans there. All the shooting was generally over after the first day, the Rangers and parts of the 82nd down South at the airport, um, you know, they get a bad rap. I don't know if you know anything about the operation guys, but The Marine Corps came out smelling like a rose and the army, the army, the larger part of the army, they didn't do all that well. However, at the battalion level and level and below, they did great. And so to your point, Marcus, these guys were in some pretty stiff firefights. They had some KIAs. But if you talk to some people, they said, well, the Marines did everything. The army didn't do shit. That's not true. And I wanted to clear that up. That's that's really not true at all. Yeah,
3: that 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 usually happens in house, too. Yes. I mean, that's oh, a, yes. that's a, that's a, a beating on our chest thing. I, yeah, I get all that. It's when it makes it out and they try to make yeah. it something like that. That yeah.
0: upsets everybody. <coughs> what
1: year was that?
0: 80. 83. Yeah. It was, um, it was, it was October of 83. Heartbreak Ridge,
3: right? You ever seen it? Remember Heartbreak yeah, Ridge? <laughs> yes, yes,
0: yes. Yeah. One that was time. highly inaccurate. Highly <laughs> inaccurate. You know, I claimed oh, I know, that. I know,
3: I know, I know. I just, yeah. that's what made me think of it.
0: Yes. I, I, I claimed jokingly that they, Clint Eastwood's character was somewhat patterned after me, but I man, I think I, I could it, do more. It, more. I, I liked you,
3: anyways, that. but the fact that you said <laughs> that was great for Gunny Highway, man.
0: <laughs> exactly. So you'll appreciate this, Marcus. We're up in the northern part of the island, and in hindsight, it really there wasn't really any stiff combat there for the Marines. And I say that some guys did, but there, it really it wasn't nothing. Certainly nothing that we faced, you know, a month or so later in Lebanon. But we were in the darkness in the northern part of the island, and we got tasked to go down and rescue elements of SEAL Team Six, which was trapped in the governor's mansion. Their mission was to rescue the governor of, former governor of Grenada. And so the word was my battalion commander told me literally, he said, We're going south. There's a SEAL element in this building, they're surrounded. They got a bunch of wounded, and we're going to go get them. And without hesitation, that whole Marine unit's focus, the main effort, turned from what we were doing to go down and get those guys. Oh, it, yeah, that's was, a real thing,
3: and there is no finer. I've had my ass saved more times by the Marine Corps, and you you can even I can even talk about it. the best part about this. You want to talk about bragging rights? Like SEALs, we get the cool missions, we get to hang it out there and go get into the pickles that we most of the time we know we can't get out of, and there's a. A quiet calm that comes along knowing y'all come get us. And let me tell you something. <laughs> These suckers will, will stop eating chow and do everything in their power to get their asses down. And to will be the first ones to rescue. Like I said, it's a qual. It's like, man, if you got that one under your belt, it's a good one. Because it doesn't happen a lot. But when it does, like I said, yeah. it's happened to me a few times. When y'all show yeah. up, it's, it's a whole level of thank you. I mean the next day we go back to hey man you're freaking
0: whatever (laughs) yeah yeah well thank you thank you for that and i'll tell you that's that's why i mentioned it that's exactly that's exactly what happened the the, the, there's no question americans in trouble we we moved down there now once once we approached elements of our battalion approached the bad guys left no left without firing a shot we had we and the army had knocked out a couple little btrs and bmps and all of that but generally speaking it wasn't much and i can distinctly remember the seals coming down i didn't know who the hell they were they of course you know they were dressed in different stuff and all that beards and long hair coming down the a big mountain with a couple civilians, which happened to be the governor and his wife and all of that. And then they, they flew out. And I really didn't know. We, we really didn't know what the hell happened on the island until later when we started reading magazines, you know, in Beirut. And there were some accounts of it, you know.
1: But that had so been, we got, like, Gothro's go time frame?
0: Probably. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: I was trying to um, There's a bunch associate a yeah. time frame, and he verified what I was thinking. I was just looking at pictures from Grenada in 1983, so I've got... Yeah. We're going to. I'll see. Same we'll thing happened to us, man. We
3: were do. kind of pinned down. It was, it was ineffective with coming in at us. We were coming out of this, this house, actually. And uh, we called in for an extract from from It was a t- the tanker show. The tank showed up. I, I thought that was real cool. They didn't just ride. They made us run behind it. Sorry, son. <laughs> I call it the freaking Ramadi Mile, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that was yeah. awesome. I've seen y'all break. Um, um, Uh, battle lines i mean just blow through entire fields of operation with those suckers to to get to us
0: yeah i uh never appreciated tanks uh and really you know not in a bad way i just you know had no experience with them and show beirut and to appreciate what a tank main gun round sounds like and what it what it can do on the other end right And we were getting bedeviled uh, down at the airport. I was actually up in West Beirut, farther away, but my buddies at the airport were getting bedeviled with snipers. And uh, we had a great commander, and so we started using main tank main gun rounds as anti-sniper weapons. Oh yeah, and, that'll uh, do it. <laughs> we, suffice it to say, <laughs> Very we rarely, <laughs> yeah, we rarely got another shot from the offending building because oh. the offending building was never a building. Never anymore. a building anymore. <laughs> Yeah, so I, it, was, got, it was very very good. As so, a
3: sniper, knowing that the tanks around, that it because it, you can drop that sucker below or above them.
0: Yes, interesting story. There was no anti, there was no armor threat there for the guys at the airport. So now we're in Lebanon, and um, so but a lot of snipers, a lot of you know guys on the roof looking at Marines. They're five hundred meters away, four hundred meters away, eight hundred meters away, and they're you know they're having tea. They know the Marines are watching them. They're giving them the finger, all that stuff, and the binoculars, uh-huh. you know. And then all of a sudden, the guy would bend down, pick up a machine gun, pff, roll out a belt, and then leave. leave. You yeah. know, and you couldn't get him. So they started watching pretty pretty closely, and they started massing snipers, and they started whacking them hard with snipers and toe rounds. Yeah, you know what a oh, toe yeah, round absolutely. is. So it's so again, uh, and and believe it or not, the bad guys actually complained. To the Lebanese army who were on our side complained that the Marines were not following the rules. Well, and when that happens. <laughs> What's and something that'll round? make you chuckle, as only bureaucracy could do, when someone in DC, uh, you know. Pentagon and all that found out that, that our unit was using anti, anti-tank anti weapons, toes, totally for anti-sniper, they snarkily said, you know, those things are very, very expensive. They're $10,000 a piece, oh, blah, blah, yeah. blah. They blah. Hit,
3: hit you with the money. No, I, yeah, I hate yeah. it
0: when they do that to you, and they do it a lot. And and my colonel was a very famous combat leader. His name was Ray Smith, finished up as a major general, um, Navy Cross recipient, couple of Silver Stars, um, three or four tours in Vietnam, the, the real deal. And his curt response to headquarters was how much does a Marine cost?
5: Yeah.
3: Never heard
0: anything again.
5: Man, like I, when they
3: do that to y'all, it aggravates me to know. Yeah. I mean, first of all, make you into a Marines. One thing then to hit, hit, hit them with that. That doesn't yeah. even make sense. I know y'all don't get money. y'all yeah. don't get anything. I was yeah. like, they keep y'all mean for a reason. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like we run into y'all and we're having, I'll never forget doing like a reconnaissance mission. we are out there for weeks up into a month and they'd still make you have to shave and blouse just, and that's routine. I understand why they do that yeah. and everything yeah. like that. But then you get to the point where, man, they just get them dogs on the chain. That's why they call y'all that for yeah, dogs of war. And they just keep yeah. y'all mean as shit.
0: Well, you know, you've seen it, Marcus. And I, I was just telling somebody the other night that unless you've seen it, it's hard for you to imagine the utter unbridled bridled violence that an 18-year-old devil dog is oh. capable of. Hey, man, just, that's just true story. Caveman violence that, you know, if you've never seen it, it's even hard to imagine it, you know? It's just hard to be imagine that human beings could be that focused on destroying what's ever in front of them.
3: I'll uh, never forget when I saw that I'll never forget these guys, two of them. Fire team, and we were sniper Overwatch down this city. It's like apartments and everything. And I had their alley, and I stand there and watch these two jokers. I mean, building to building, up the stairwell, kicking in door, taking gunfire, walls of blow up, and they come run out. And I watched them literally all day. And then they showed up in front of me, and it was all body armor and that helmet. You couldn't see a head in there, right? They're just kind of jacked up. They're so, you know what I'm talking about? Like <laughs> yeah. these guys. I mean, 18 years old and wide eye. I mean, they didn't have the stare yet. They were still in the wide eye station. Yeah. And I'm talking I was so impressed with those two. I, I'll never forget them. I'll never forget them as long as I live, and watching them do that. They, and then they had the audacity to compliment me about being a, a frogman ever once they found out what we were. I was like, "Son, I just watched you do things. I mean, they didn't even stop. I could. I mean, I would have taken a break, taken a nap. I mean, it just (laughs) took all day, and these suckers just kept going. I didn't get their names or anything like that. I, you know, I was telling them what to do, and it, it was. But I, and I didn't even compliment them. I didn't, you know, I didn't, it's got to keep mean, right? Like, Hey, great job. Yeah, and they're like, Oh, sweet. Go. Now I'm good. And then <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> You suck today. Go. And you know, they were just happy to be there. Just they're happy thinking, to be there.
0: Yeah. Can you believe they're paying us for this? No, you know? <laughs> I mean, it looked like that.
3: Best thing I could think of is like, when you go hunting with your lab
0: and that's no matter how cold <laughs> it is, how,
3: I mean, he's just like, what's up? You know, like yeah. that. But as soon yeah. as you say uh, fight or war, man, they just light up. Like you can't believe. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I love them, and you know, every generation is you know laughed at. So I would when I enlisted in Marine Corps, uh, guys, there were still World War II vets on active duty. I mean, I had a first sergeant that was on Iwo Jima, Korean oh War, God. multiple tours oh, in Vietnam. How was that? How do you even work with them? Long- I mean, them dudes. Are, was, they dude. were it, they were awesome. Right? I can't say enough good about. Them. They were just awesome. You know, been there, done that. My first one, first sergeant had a bayonet scar in his face that's cool Jap- that is Japanese awesome that is so
3: cool most chamber. guys i know beg for that scar
0: what so was his it's name? unbelievable <laughs> you know and so yeah it was unbelievable to work with those guys so i never forgot them and really i, I spent my whole career trying to live up to the legacy of those guys the marines in bellowwood in world war one if there's one oh, yeah. thing the marine corps does well is it teaches it teaches and honors and sustains its history and traditions? Um,
3: yeah, i all get that.
0: It, 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 so it's it's very, very good. So it's impossible. My kids used to see me in a we'd be in a Home Depot or something, and I'd see some old fat guy with a wrinkle emblem on his forearm. He's older than dirt. And they knew I'd reach out, like, hey, hey, when were you in? They'd be like, Oh, here we go, half hour at least. Yeah, you know, yeah, right? It's hey, just that, it's that brotherhood, you know, hey, you understand fat. that.
3: That's like muscle that's just perpetuated. I've never, that's one thing you'll never see is an out of shape Marine in uniform. I've never seen that.
1: We are that. That doesn't happen. Uh,
3: yeah. And I, I yeah. ran across, a, what was it 93? He was 99. That colonel that time, he was 99. One was 97. And uh, the 88 year old or something, he was a light colonel. They were still hazing each other. Let me tell you something the crease in his pants was so damn sharp, you could have shaved with it. Yeah. I mean, he showed up khakied out with his with his with his gold going. Yeah, I was yeah. like, "Oh." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Ries look Sharp man. I, you got to give him props on the uniforms, man.
1: We had yeah, a friend was... that was a World War II Marine, uh, RV Bergen, and he had a book called Island of the Damned. He yeah. was uh Great dude. in the Battle of Peleliu in Palau during World War II, and we got to know him over the last several years. He died about what two or three years ago um great man great great man and we had the privilege of going to Palau to the the beaches of Peleliu Orange Beach
3: yeah where they went in
1: where they went in and Marcus carried him out of the boat onto the beach Wow. It
3: was. So we went out in the ocean in this flat bottom, came back in.
1: Yeah.
3: I, yeah. I remember walking over the beach with him. I like, I was frog manned out too. I was like, what?
1: What's <laughs> up?
3: I was like, well, did you start killing right here? I was like, was he behind this tree? And he, uh, and he goes, no, we came in, it was scorched earth. Yeah. He's like, that we, it, we had gone in. And then he was pointing out, he's like, there's the bluffs over here. And there was an inlet. And he's like, 250 Marines went in over there. None made it out. He's Aww. like, 250 went over here. I think five made it out. Because we came in here, he's like, I woke up one night, and he had this old redneck, or he might have been a corn-fed country boy. He sl- from sl- Dallas. S- sleeping in this hole. As he woke up, the dude was choking him, trying to kill him. He <sighs> picked him up over his head and freaking... And I, I'm just sitting there looking at this dude going, my God, man, you know...
1: Well, and when we saw it, the island oh, was, it was just beautiful. Lush, lush jungle. Yeah. It was beautiful. Frozen I mean, in time. Yeah, in that there's still the anti-aircraft guns like sitting yeah. there. You can go. Yeah. It's like going to an yeah. outdoor museum.
3: Swords and, leaning against a tree, yeah. AKs laying yeah. on the ground. Like you drive driving down the road, and the, and the driver would pull over. He's like, check this out. And we go over this hill, and there'd be an anti-tank uh, cannon buried in there. It's still in the pillbox, just yeah. rusted yeah. up, just sitting there. It's like, when they called the war, it stopped right there.
1: If you ever want to see real time, like, an actual museum without all the fluff crap that's at a museum, like, real frozen in time... Go to the island of Peleliu in oh. the islands of Palau. That's
3: just beautiful, too. <laughs>
1: it is so beautiful. It's awesome. It's actually pretty cheap to get there because nobody goes. Yeah. And um, it's really far. It took us like 24 hours to get there. But it's um, oh, damn far. It was really, really <laughs> far. But um, it was the neatest experience that I think we've ever shared with. I mean,
3: because the history is still there. The and history Marines, was I mean, having amazing. him there, it's like I've been all over the world.
0: Mm-hmm. The yeah. cool part
3: about Marines. Is not, I mean, there's not very many of y'all, but y'all keep track of that.
0: Well, I know the history of the battle. Well, and to your early remark, uh, Marcus, about, you know, little hidden battles. Um, Peleliu of guys that were in all or most of them, Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal. I mean, this is a tall statement. They all said there was nothing like Peleliu. Yep. Nothing Think about that, like, like Peleliu. <laughs> that scares
3: know? the hell out of me, man. I, yeah. you know, like a fight like that. We're, I mean, we yeah. like really killing. That's some and crazy it, stuff. It just man. wasn't
0: wasn't covered all that much with press. So you had Marines in the Pacific even that never really understood how savage that battle was. That's where Lee Marvin got shot in the yes. ass, Peleliu. Mm-hmm. That's where he got wounded.
1: Yeah. That's a whole,
0: ass shots. It's
1: really crazy. And it was the largest loss of life of Marines in history was in the Battle of Peleliu. And they yeah. thought it was supposed to be, they thought that, what was it, Admiral yeah. Nimitz or something, thought that they were going to overtake the whole island and like, they estimated like seven days to completely take it over. And it ended up taking like four or five, maybe six months, something like that. Yeah. They ended up yeah. winning in the end, but it took a lot longer and cost hundreds and hundreds if not thousands of lives i don't remember exactly yeah. but it was crazy well, well
0: re- regarding marine bergen i never knew him i know who he is mm-hmm. i am actually in the process of writing a book on combat and combat leadership and i'm quoting him ah. several times in that book he's got some youtube videos he'd love that.
4: He
1: be, he yeah, he, he you love that he's looking down on you and man. he loves it yeah. he's a marine
3: marine i mean straight up still mowed his uh, yard That's- and and can't his <laughs> he
1: still wore his marine belt buckle oh, yeah. at 95, 96 yeah. years old every single day. No yeah. He, was he had going. a picture
3: of them, the guys that were left on Palau. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
3: they, they were on a yeah. on beach stand up against the woods with their I mean they yeah. had clothes left, right? So what was ever left of it and how skinny they were. Pure muscle. Like yeah. when you see when them guys, yeah. those war fighters that come back, you know, yeah, they just yeah. look like like Gone. Yeah, man, yeah. dude.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, So uh, let's see, where did I leave? So we're still in Lebanon. And I, I, on the way to Lebanon, I was told that I was an older second lieutenant, obviously, with my enlisted time. So I was told that myself and my platoon sergeant named Staff Sergeant Mike Marshall, great guy. um, Evidently, we were considered by the battalion commander to be the strongest lieutenant staff sergeant team in the battalion. That's flattering. So we... Got tasked with taking <laughs> Did you say, Oh,
3: <laughs> you're too squared away. That means something too, right?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm flattered, but you know, he, you know, I like to say he carried most of that weight. He was great, great guy. Uh, just recently passed away, unfortunately, but he was certainly my right hand uh, man, and you know, I, I like to say one of the one of the best subordinates I ever worked for. You know, right. he uh, kept me out of trouble completely, and all I had to do was just say something or give a look and he got, I got it, sir. I got it. So we got it, you know, and he was one of those staff NCOs. So we took 104 Marines up to West Beirut to an area that was being used as the temporary U.S. Embassy. And it included the British Embassy because the U.S. Embassy had been truck bombed the previous April, April of 84. The U.S. Embassy got destroyed uh, by a by a a van packed with explosives. Sixty some people got killed um so i was set up there with the marines at that time i didn't realize at the time but i i soon found out that i actually had more marines as a second lieutenant five miles away from everybody else than my company commander had uh you know back at the airport so i started busting his ass we were the same age he was a great guy and saying sir you need to send that company guy down up to me because this is really fox company you know not not what you got left down at the airport yeah so I don't think you want to hear what he said to me, but it wasn't polite. Um, so he has a great way of articulating
3: him, so. that. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I stayed, uh, stayed up there with my Marines and uh, we, we stayed there for about four and a half months. And this is a really good story at the risk of sounding self-aggrandizing. Uh, and I'm saying this as a lesson to, to current leaders. So Reagan pulls all the Marines offshore and says, come back on the ships with the exception of me and my group in West Beirut. So now you've got, everybody's on the ship, and you have a second lieutenant with 104 Marines left ashore. And it's it's nasty. I mean, stuff's going on. When the Pentagon found out that a second lieutenant was ashore, intense pressure rolled down through the chain of command. Like, look, I'm sure he's a good lieutenant, but I mean, shouldn't you know, this is a field grade officer to to do that. And my battalion commander and the the Mew commander uh, had been in Vietnam together. And they basically said, they literally said, look, don't know if you know this, but him and his staff sergeant and those Marines been up there alone for three months already. And they've handled everything. This guy's got it. And they resisted that pressure and allowed me to stay. I never knew that until about five or six years after we got back that they had gone to bat to me and for me and fight. So the, the moral of the story is um, I, I like to think I was up to the task. I had a strong staff NCO and that my Colonel and the Brigadier General saw no need to put a major or a Lieutenant Colonel in. Nothing had changed except the Marines were now on the ships and, and they said, we trusted him, he's got it, he's keeping it. And they let me stay for another, another month and three quarters up there you know, by myself with my staff sergeant, and all these Marines, and we got replaced one for one by the follow-on.
3: Yeah, yeah, I ripped y'all out.
0: Wow. So it's all about trust, yeah. Yeah. it's all about trust. And, and you know, I'm sure you, you guys have seen this, in peacetime, everybody needs an officer involved, a, yeah, petty, yeah. a chief petty officer, a gun uh, oh, involved. Yeah. As soon as combat starts, okay, Corporal, take this patrol out. (laughs) Right, Lance Corporal, you got it. (laughs) And so as you know, the time to start that is not in combat. It's in peacetime and whatever. Trust it.
3: I don't know why we do we do it that way. It's repetitive, I guess for something to do, right? I mean, I I I guess I don't I I wasn't in long and I got stuck in the my positional authority is center of the hourglass. Like I can deal with the the officers all the way up to the stars and then all the way down to the lowest guy. I love it. Yeah, I never wanted to leave it. Yeah, I, it's uh, took a lot of takes a lot of practice, but there's a lot of man. There's so many gifts holding that that rank, and it's it's uh. So I got, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's true. We got yeah. to go on the Truman the other day, and. uh you know, the average age of people who run that aircraft carry around 19 to 22, right? Yeah, Which is yeah.
1: so bizarre. To if you think knew that, what,
3: that that's just a floating city that's run by, I mean, the 17 year old that has the wheel of that sucker. Yeah. Like literally has the wheel.
1: <laughs> I know. I was like, who has this job to Damn. actually drive the ship? And they're like, oh, this kid, kid over here kid over that is younger it. than our son. No, I was no. like, what? Yeah,
3: who I wouldn't even let my drive my tractor. <laughs> you know what i'm talking about and we're we, we, an aircraft carrier yeah. that sucker doesn't turn around on a dime
2: as <laughs> you'll turn and I
3: mean, that's the coolest part about the military it's oh, just yeah. like the, the the moms and dad the old men in there are 40 and 50s which they're still having a great time yeah and, and the the discipline and respect that rolls down to the younger ones in there they had the responsibilities that you and you can't see that when you're in i didn't know that it's. I mean, it, it can't yeah. even. It's almost like going through all those lessons over and over again. You learn something, and you can't really appreciate it till you're well past it. Yeah, well exactly. past exactly.
0: Well, we left Beirut. I came back and then, you know, regular peacetime infantry stuff went back. I uh, went to Paris Island as an officer. Um, and then when it was time to go back to the fleet, I re- went to the eighth Marines again, this time with one, eight, the unit had been hit. in the yeah.
3: yeah. In Beirut. how was that getting, linking up with those guys?
0: Well, they were all gone mostly, except some of the older guys had left and come back. Yeah. Um, and so, um, Uh, It was I made sure that, uh, you know, we all made sure that the history wasn't lost. And I was very touched. One of my TBS and IOC classmates got killed by a mortar round, landed right between him and his staff sergeant in August of 83. His name was George Losey. Great guy. And everybody loved this guy. Great guy. So I went to his funeral. was actually one of his pallbearers uh, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I'm going to Beirut now in, in a month or two. And um, so I remember George, obviously, uh, every time I stop at the Beirut Memorial in Jacksonville, North Carolina, I touch his name on the wall. Well, I go and you know how you have these hails and farewells, you know, when someone joins the unit, they introduce the new guys and the old guys are leaving and they give them plaques. Well, as part of the farewell, one of the lieutenants says, I've had a great time here and it's now my job to pass on Lieutenant Losey's field jacket." to another deserving lieutenant and i realized that they had gotten george's field jacket when he got killed preserved it and were passing it from one lieutenant to the other in perpetuity oh wow to not forget him and i was that's awesome i was speechless that's awesome i was the only one in the room that knew george losey you know and it was it was quite touching. I mean, there was blood on his field jacket and all of that, you know. And so I I I stood up and no one knew me at the time in the unit. I stood up and gave a little talk about, hey, I am so touched for this. I know him and all that. So it's one of those priceless things that happen. Unscripted happen and they still have the field jacket. Oh, I bet. And in fact, they've they've made a case for it now, a glass case, presentation case, and they still they still honor it. It's still in the headquarters building of one but first battalion, eighth Marines.
3: That's cool. That's yeah, another, yeah. that's another cool thing y'all do. Yeah, stuff yeah, like that, that that passed down, and it it has it has nothing to do with. I mean, it, yeah, the artifact itself is one thing, but I mean, yeah. just what goes into carrying that sucker?
0: Yeah, the, the history Ex- behind absolutely it. Absolutely right. You know what I mean? Absolutely right. And so I was part of uh, the battalion one eight. We got activated for Desert Storm, so we went over to Desert Storm. I was the commanding officer of a weapons company, so I had all of the gun vehicles, the mortars. Um, I was, you know, the guy that would coordinate the fire support plan. So it was a great, it was a great time to be a weapons company commander. Cause we actually did call airstrikes, artillery mortars and all of that. And, uh, we were on, you know, generally speaking, desert storm is known for, you know, we just collapsed the Iraqis quickly and they surrendered again, just, I guess, luck or, or maybe not how you look at it. I was in the battalion that was the right flank, the boundary of the 2nd Marine Division. And there was a hardball road running from south to north. And that was the boundary between us and 1st Marine Division. So what happened was 1st Marine Division was pushing up. The Iraqis were running away and they didn't know we were there waiting for
3: them. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: So I actually had a couple of towed gunners that whacked so many tanks one morning, they both got. They each got a silver star, and there were only four silver stars in the division um, that were awarded. I wrote them both as bronze stars. I knew they were solid. The division commander that approved them was a very experienced guy, Vietnam guy. And, and it came back that he thought that they, they justified. So they did interviews and all that, solid silver stars. So they got you know, PFC and a Lance Corporal. Uh, sure. the citations well yeah
3: I, I, I've heard of that going down too when the, it gets upgraded when it gets pushed up and uh, because of the age like if, if they're a certain age acting like uh, ho- yeah. holding the weight of somebody who's been around a long time I didn't know that there's actually yeah. a lot that goes into it Like, how, and if you get there's, somebody with some like a real young kid I mean that just dust like steps up
0: like Dakota yep.
3: like Dakota yeah Something like that. That's how yeah, that yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I had a,
0: uh, I had a, a Lance corporal. It's funny in, in Beirut. That's not funny, but this, this kid was sent to me from another unit and he was kind of considered a bit of a turd. He had had some difficulties, home life difficulties with his parents and all that. And so he was late coming back off leave. So he was UA oh. and, uh, And some of his immediate leadership kind of gave up on him. So when it found out that I needed reinforcement, they sent him up. He became my driver. Well, there was an ambush of helicopters coming in and and a Marine got hit. And this kid ran out under fire, bullets flying all around him, dragged him. He's talking to me. He's dragged him about 50 yards behind a concrete embankment, is talking to me, telling me, you know, Corporal Gargano was hit. Don't know how bad it is, but he's bleeding a lot. We need a medevac, but don't, here, to your point, don't bring the bird in here because we're under fire. Bring it into an alternate LZ. I'm looking at my radio like it's <laughs> running running the show, you know? And, Who is and this? We, 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 did, we did exactly that. Yeah, yeah. There, there was a couple of senior Marines in the LZ with them had come up. They were not mine. They were maintenance Marines. Um I don't want to dog them and identify them but they were senior marines and they they went to ground and stayed there and and lance corporal gorham ran the show yeah. and got got them all back unfortunately the the marine um, got was dead um and so um i had to identify his body and to show you how it's micromanagement that you've seen marcus is you know, I report to the airport, look, he's ambush going on and all that. And they're actually being really good to me. You know, they know, you know, we're under fire and all of that. And um and we got micromanaged all the way from DC. And it was like they called me and said, uh, our battalion S3 was a good man, a major. And he said, Mike, on the radio he goes, I, I hate to tell you this. He said, but they want to know exactly where he got hit. So you 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 have to like kind of undress him and and look. Yep. So I, w- I went in the back of the vehicle and opened him up, rolled him over, and I could hear blood sloshing in him because he it, it got hit right in the armpit.
3: Oh, yeah. Like
0: a 7.62 round. Yeah, filled him up. Um, and, and so, you know, that was just an aside. So I was pissed that we got micromanaged like that. But we, we sent it up. Um, where I'm going with this is we wrote Gorham. I wrote Gorham for Bronze Star with V um his company commander down at the airport agreed the battalion commander agreed the the mu commander agreed gets to dc there's some shit going on you know
3: yeah
0: and someone at dc actually said they were gonna probably gonna downgrade it and it was just because they hadn't done awards yet since vietnam and to be honest with you marcus i think there was envy involved sure and a staff officer actually told me well, you know, a Navy comm with a V for a Lance Corporal is still pretty good. And, you know, I was a bit of a surly guy, a you know, surly first lieutenant. And I'm like, hey, sir, we give Lance Corporals medals of honor. Yeah. And, and everyone in the chain says, Bronze Star and V. Who are you or anybody else that, that doesn't even know what happened? Who are you guys just to arbitrarily change it? And so my battalion commander, again, who was highly respected, he got mobilized. Sure. Twice, <laughs> it, twice it to say. As they do. Yeah, right? <laughs> my, about a year after we submitted it, uh, Gorham received a Bronze Star with V. Oh, no,
5: awesome.
4: great,
0: great kid. No, that's awesome. truly, truly deserved. Everybody that was there that day, I was taking statements and all of that. Everybody that was there that day clearly said he was the commissioned officer that day at that moment. Ran oh, yeah. the show.
3: Same Pat, he's he, he's he he died on Red Wing, but I the first time he ever called in on a call, uh, we were we had an engagement going on, and he was so calm on the radio that they weren't going to send anybody. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason they came was because they heard it going on. He's like, yeah, yeah, we got this. He was a California
1: <laughs> surfer boy, <laughs> yeah. you know, surfer
3: kid, dude, and I mean was just laying it on there. I mean, you could, no, you couldn't train that out of him, right? It's like that <laughs> accent that goes perfect, yeah. perfect military bearing, had all the verbiage and everything. He's like check yeah we are (laughs) (laughs) so that people take that out of the equation when we're in that stuff but man you need to put the personalities in there because that makes that hilarious right and there are guys with such great personalities when the shit hits the fan it comes out and i'm talking about see, i think it's the only way we get through all that is you got got to have them dudes there otherwise i don't know
0: well, I think what you're alluding to is the fact that you know I'm I'm sure the frogmen are the same as marines incessant shit talkers to oh, each other, one hundred percent, including during firefights in the moment, in oh, the moment, yeah. yes, yeah. including <laughs> make make making fun of each other, in, taunting each in other in yeah. the freaking moment. <laughs> that is a real makes thing. makes
1: fun of his best friends, and sometimes I'm like, babe, that was kind of rude. You should probably apologize. And he's like. That was hilarious. My I
3: don't know what you What are you talking about? That was Apologize. so
1: funny. And I'm like, I think that was rude. You might have hurt his feelings. Uh, he was like, "No, no I am not no. apologizing."
3: I mean, yes. in the moment, those things And a movie glo- <laughs> a movie quote or a line or so somebody'll say something to you like it, it, they that, that has to happen, I think, right? That's just how you know you're yeah. going to make it through that when them suckers he start He tried flying telling
1: up. me one time to land my plane when yeah, I was, right, was like giving him a long explanation of something, and I was like, what the fuck did you just say to
3: me? <laughs> I never do lived not, that one down, man. Do you not tell me to
1: land my plane. And I think yes. you said woman. Land oh, your plane, know. woman. I'm like, what?
2: You're like, no, 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 not that part.
1: You're not going to talk what? to me like that.
2: Yeah, <laughs> That yes. probably happened,
3: but I'm going to say that sounds made up. It's made no, up. Yeah.
0: you definitely <laughs> let's get Let's get back to what Mike was saying. Go ahead. <laughs> well, After the Gulf War, I came back um, and uh, went to the basic school at Quantico as an instructor. I wanted to go. I had a feeling that I was going to retire soon, you know, at my enlisted time. And I wanted to go back and give back to the lieutenants. And I did that. I stayed there for three years. And I just loved it. Loved being surrounded by the young guys. Uh, Just just loved it. Had a great time. Um, They sent me to command. I made major. They sent me to command and staff college. And it was there that I suddenly realized, I want to try something else, you know. I mean, I didn't know 9-11 was coming or I would have never left. Of course, I might not be alive today, but, I, you know, it was nothing going on. Didn't predict anything was happening. And I realized that I was more excited. You know, I had a good good career. I'd done every. I answered all my questions about myself that I wanted to answer and you know i was going to be a lieutenant colonel and probably a colonel i was going to get all those good jobs but i was more excited about proving that i was an equally good leader in the business world as i was in the the marine corps so and i realized mike if the thought of being an infantry battalion commander excites you less than going out and trying your hand in business you need to go out and try your hand in business you know and so that's what I did. I was hired by a company. Well, my first job, you'll recognize this, Marcus. My first job was I was one of the very first guys hired by Trigicon. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so my job was to take.
3: Oh, so you just kind of step side, over and. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. A lot of guys. Yeah. do that. Yep.
0: Yes. My last job in the Marine Corps, I had very, very good clearances. Um, I was in a liaison role with some of the what we called back then the tier one forces and some of the the government agencies. And so I was one of the guys that would link up with those fellows and then bring them to various Marine exercises and introduce them to guys that were read in and say, hey, if you're ever somewhere and you get real time info that the LZ that you plan on using, you can't use it, but you need to go there. These are the guys that you're gonna be talking to. So that's you know, I'm dancing around a subject, but because of that, I met really good people
4: yeah.
0: and and really good clearances. So when they when I worked for Trigicon, the Trigicon reflex site that you know about and used, I had the prototypes in my hands and I brought them to Damneck and to Fort Bragg to guys I knew and said, Would you shoot these? They're like, Yeah, <laughs> right? come back in two weeks. All right. Went back to two weeks and basically they said shot 10,000 rounds through it love it can you make a green yellow and red reticle and can you make a cross a pyramid and a circle and i'm like sure we can do that so you know feedback from those kind of shooters right, right. is priceless yeah. loved it pre 9/11 i was dragging a ar15 in a case through the airport and all that you know um as carry-on. <laughs> yeah, no carry-on. I had to check it, but, you know. It's bulky, uh,
3: but it's a carry-on.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh but I uh about 10 months into that, I got contacted by a buddy, marine buddy, whose sister was married to this uh CEO of a company named K Force, which was a IT and finance and accounting staffing company, headhunters. They found jobs for people, the finance guys, accountants, and then tech guys, tech, tech people, bona fide techies. And the guy loved Marines and hired me specifically to start a leadership development program, specifically to hire junior Marine officers that were getting out and to train people on the inside. And I did that. and uh, did it. We did it well. Uh, and then a dot-com crash hit. The company almost went out of business. That was the bad news. The good news is there was a lot of opportunity for me. Uh, People were leaving, quitting, getting fired, whatever. And they just started throwing more responsibility. So about four years into it, I started there in 99, March of 99. About four years later, I was a C-level officer in charge of most of the back office, uh, the non-sales functions for a billion-dollar company. No expertise in any of it. Uh, you know, I, when I left the Marine Corps in '98, I I didn't really wasn't really sure how to save a file, no. and <laughs> and forwarding an attachment <laughs> right? completely blew this brunt's mind. You know, oh, I had no. to get a young guy to help me all the time, and then two years later, I was in charge of a $45 million budgeted IT department. And and so the good story of this is um, I was new to business, didn't know what a publicly traded company was, but I realized pretty quickly that I was not new to leadership and organizational skills, like, you know, so many veterans have come out here and done. And I stayed there 15 years, can't say enough good about the people I worked with, they gave me chances, a frightening amount of authority and all of that. Uh, After 15 years, i retired from that company, thought I was done. I'd done well financially, thought I was done, just going to play, you know, learn how to play golf, PT or whatever. And during that first year, I was pretty tired. During that first year, guys, I probably had lunch or coffee with 30 people. And they were asking me business advice, leadership advice. Look, I got this situation going on. What would you do? And I realized I was coaching and mentoring, which I still love to do. Right. Um, didn't want to be anywhere at 8 o'clock in the morning anymore.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: But, I, but that I wanted. And so I opened up my executive coaching practice and uh, and love it. So I teach and coach senior executives in in the art and science of leadership and here's a guy that thought he was done never going to work again i will do this as long as i breathe i just love leadership teaching and helping you know people develop as leaders just love it
3: well i mean if that's the best part about making the rank when you get to that age and to that experience because the coaching and teaches, it teaches yourself. I mean, it gives back. Every time somebody new walks in there, they're going to drop something on you that you can pick up and somehow yeah. articulate it back in. And it's almost as if, you know, when we first come in, we don't know anything, and then we have to go through the warrior, the, the gardener, the, all that, up into the point yeah. to when it's time for you to start passing that back down. And it's, yeah. so, it's so sharp by then that it's, it's the wisdom, right, and the understanding yeah. and the knowledge. Yeah. And, and um, you're right. It's an energy that goes with that. They were talking about oh, 8 a.m. I was like, what time talking about? I ain't doing nothing at 8 a.m. anymore. I don't want to jog for PTE, but I'll damn sure coach somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I love it. You're exactly right. So I'm 65 years old, um, have just unlimited energy, and I get excited about this stuff. You know, I start spitting at the screen. I just love it. And I, you know, my body's pretty broken from PT and jumping and stuff, but leadership-wise, there's two things I say. I'm at the height of my game leadership wise. And then when you turn that coin over guys at 65 with over 45 years leading, teaching leadership, learning about leadership, I still learn something about every week. I'm like, how in the hell have I gone this long and never heard that? Never heard that lesson or technique. So I realize (laughs) the journey's never going to be over. Never going to be over.
3: That's in in life. Wonderful. She's, She's wonderful, right? There's always something for us to teach us as long as we want to learn it. Absolutely. And at, at, then at, at, at a certain point, yeah, in the beginning, I mean, like you're born into the treasure, the treasure chest, but you have to leave to find the keys. And the further you travel, the more keys you get. And then when you come back, what happens is that they start coming to you. Like they'll just bring yeah. all their treasures to you, and you you give them that, that – that life lesson yeah. it opens them up and then they, they release that treasure. I mean, yeah, that's, that's well, I've never heard you know, it said like that. but exactly
0: that's- right. So, you know, we're, you know, in the military, we were big on mission statements. So if you go to my website, it's, there's a, my purpose page and my purpose, it's, I'm going to condense it. My purpose is to teach and coach and help leaders develop while I'm alive. And after I'm gone yeah. and to do it after I'm gone, that means I have to write and so I sent you guys some books that I've written and I, I am vain enough to think that 25, 50, 80 years from now, if somebody picks my book up, the Iwo Jima lessons that I learned, the Grenada lessons, the business lessons that I've learned and spun my own way just might help out my great, great grandson or daughter who'd never met me. And they'll look at it and say, you know, on this one, old Pops was wrong. On this one, though, he's dead on and it's still applicable, you know. <laughs> so that's, that's my mission in life is to help leaders, help develop world-class leaders while I'm here and long after I'm gone. That's
3: awesome. Yeah, almost like you're writing it to yourself uh, five, f- five generations down.
0: That's exactly right. I mean, I write that in the books. You know, I, I write to my uh, that you know this book is for my great great grandchildren, who you know are probably eighty years out. You know, right. They're not there <laughs> yet. You know? How
3: about somebody said that to me the other day? Like, hey man, you ever pray for your future, your kids' wife or husband? I do. And then do you like when you write stuff? Do you write stuff for not only like the self help book for them raising yeah. their kids kind of kind yes. of deal? And uh, yeah,
0: yes. Well, one of the books I wrote, the big book I sent you is Trust-Based Leadership. That's 574 pages. Mm, I saw and it when I, I
3: walked into the desk. Don't worry, that, I'm cracking
0: in. Into- <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, if you don't have... want to read it, you can use it as a sappy Sa- plate, you know, because it's a big, <laughs> thick, heavy book, you know. Uh, that's my textbook for my coaching and, uh, and teaching. If you crack that open, just look at the, the table of contents. You're going to recognize it all. Roger right? that. I wrote another one called Ancient Wisdom. And I've been a big fan of the Stoics for years. Yes, sir. And, and that is a collection of a hundred ancient quotes, Socrates, Aristotle, people uh, you like would that. Love that. That's my favorite.
3: That's my favorite. And then, Marcus and, loves then, and, then, that stuff. and
0: then for what it's worth, this is what Mike Etor thinks about it. And I wrote that specifically for my descendants Aww. and others. So they could see what okay, at age 65. What did the old boy think? What was in his mind? Yeah, right. And and time will tell whether I was mostly right, somewhat wrong, or completely full of shit. Well, know? the but best wrote, is that I you wrote. put in
3: the resume ahead of it. <clears throat> like a lot of those self help books, just have what it, they write down the the quote. Right. But if you don't understand why that quote was written or by whom or right. what life molded that person to say that, yeah. then you can't really, a- I mean, yeah, you can apply it, but it's also good to, to look back on like, okay, why is he saying it this way? Because yeah. he's th- he went down this, this tunnel or this rabbit hole in life. And yes. um, man, yeah, that's, a, that's a, I love those. And the fact that they've, they're around for thousands of years, like if there's yes. one of those things that's just been around for a while, man, you need to, that's one's one you need to focus on.
0: Well, you're exactly right. If you look at the, any ancient quotes, the philosophers, the Stoics, the Romans, the Greeks, these guys had it figured out 2,500 years ago.
3: Short, sweet, to the point. That's why they say Stoic, right? They say a few words. Yes, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. they had human nature figured out thousands of years ago. Now, technology's changed, civilization's sure. changed, but human nature hasn't changed and will not change at right.
4: all. Yeah, So no. do you
0: have
1: kids, grandkids?
0: I do. I have four children. And I have two grandchildren: a a ten-year-old boy and an eight-year-old daughter, granddaughter. Congratulations! And uh, yeah, and so they all—they've got copies of the books, and (laughs) and I told them, you know, this is for this is for your children and grandchildren. They, you know, they just looked at me like, "What has he been drinking?" You know. (laughs) (laughs) know? (laughs)
1: Oh, I love to think like I always tell Marcus, like I can't wait until we're grandparents. I'm so. excited about that.
3: Yeah, that's it's the, the pass down, right? Because you don't really get along with your father. It even says that in the good book. You ain't supposed to really get along with that dude, right? You love your mother and beloved by your mom. Your grandfather, <laughs> yeah. you love that guy. Yeah. Your great-grandfather, you're probably a lot like him, and you're probably exactly like your great-grandgrandfather, right? That's like you're four, ex- four, you're four. exactly right. I've got <laughs>
0: two sons, and you're I can in? remember. I remember telling my youngest son, who was... Mike, Mike, the second, he was kind of a thick exactly like me as a kid. And I said, Mike, let me tell you something. I said, <laughs> hey, just <Mike. laughs> just, be, just because it comes out of my mouth doesn't automatically mean it's bullshit. <laughs> <I> said, <laughs> well, I'm having to deal with that now. At, <laughs> like my yeah, at good. least I said, at least give me like a 30% truth factor that it's not all bullshit. Some of it's right. And I said, I guarantee you, as you get older, you're going to find yourself becoming me at some point. Oh, sure. Know.
3: Sure, sure. I even look at my son and I'm like, Hey, that was a good one, right? Was it good? And, he's, and then sometimes, like, Yeah, that was a pretty good one, right? And, you know, <laughs> you and then some of them, the cool, the the irony is the fact that his friends, what they respect me for and what they yeah. look to me for, are the same things that my son doesn't like about, like yeah. discipline.
1: Uh-huh. You know,
3: clean, You know, study, clean your room, do all that stuff like that. <laughs> oh my gosh!
1: Sometimes the kids
3: Life. be like,
0: What's dad talking
1: about? Oh, they look at me like I'm the stupidest.
0: Well, I I, <laughs> yeah, man, I tell I tell parents and I tell my kids, you know, there's a there's a time when when you can be mommy and daddy, and then there's a very important those very important times when you have to be mother and father. Oh yeah. And and boy, you can't substitute one for the other, mm-hmm. or you're gonna screw the kid up. Yep. When you're a grandfather, you oh, get to be granddaddy. That's the cool
3: part. I've always yeah. heard that. Yeah, I am dealing with that and so I stay on the father's side. There, there ain't no dad in me, man. I, Aww, my, my, you I it, are. I'm talking about the my kid my boys, not my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> <It's
1: different. laughs> he does have a little bit in him. He's got a little bit of daddy in got him. A
3: little weakness in there. It's somewhere.
1: <laughs> I was blessed to know very well my I still have all four of my grandparents. I had my great grandparents and my great greats when I was little. So wow. They live forever. Yeah, this
3: family over here lives forever.
1: Yeah, they were all over a hundred when they died, and so wow. My, and
3: sharp. I mean, sharp as a tack. Can't even. Yeah, be.
1: I was ten when both my great great grandmas died, and I clearly remember them. I remember stories they told me, and it's funny because I'm just like my great great grandmas. Like I I have the same hobbies. Yeah, that's I'm the clearly like a hundred-year-old person because I have the same hobbies as my great-great-grandmas did when they were near death. But um, I, I love remembering the stories that they would tell me. And I yeah. wish they would have written it down so I could pass it on. But I just I tell the oral history that, that they told me. I, I mean, I remember when they told me about the first time they ever saw electricity in a building. Yeah. And it wasn't their home. They didn't have it in their home for a really long time. But when they first saw it, and when they first saw a car, and I was just so fascinated with those stories. Um, yeah. I mean, even my, my grandparents didn't have indoor plumbing. They lived out in the middle of nowhere, Louisiana, until yeah. the 50s. Yeah, It's almost like so, we're
3: a different species. Yeah, Because we're the hybrid yeah. stuck in uh, yeah. the, 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 yeah. the COVID babies especially. But the millennials that are born into tech... I mean, we're oh, a yeah. different class of people. Yeah, like, just-
0: there's no doubt. And relative to, you know, knowing your grandparents and great grandparents, I, I didn't know any of my grandfathers. They both died when my mom was pregnant for me. Both grandmothers, one spoke no English. The other one spoke halting English. And I wasn't really we were lived far away from them. So where I'm going with this is I have nothing from my grandparents. I don't know why they all came from Italy. You know, oh, I always say, are, wow. they, were they running from something or running towards? I don't know.
3: Right, right, right.
0: I, I never had a political discussion with my dad. My dad was a man, of few good guy, man, of few words. But we never just had those deep conversations. And so I've got nothing to pass on to my children. And I determined that that's not going to happen with me. That's great. For better or, for better or worse. People going to know what Mikey Tor thought Aww. 50 years from now. You know, I love it. But that's how
3: it starts. Yeah. when we got married and had the kids on the ground I, I got an old book from a courthouse and I write down when people visit I'm like hey write some wisdom down for my kids mm-hmm. I just keep it at the front door Yeah. yeah. and then I'll start I started Christmas tradi- like a dork out over the holidays
5: and sometimes I'll <laughs> we'll be
3: like hey how this starts like it's been in our family for since God put us down here thousands of years and I'm the one that started it. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. But he like, some tradition. of them will stick. Yeah. Like, some of them will stick. And that's how you remember that. And that's the, it's like the funny part. It's like something that you enjoyed and you started, and, and that's the pass down because you'll see it again. I mean,
1: well, that's why you love my grandparents so much yeah, because man. we have so much tradition. And oh,
0: yeah, I love it. You know, I, I'm I'm always fascinated. I study the old what they call the robber bearings, Carnegie and Ford and all of those guys, amazingly smart guys, got Elon Musk of their days, and they all got fantastically rich. And then at some point, they began began competing about how much money they could give away.
3: Right, right. Isn't that
0: great? (laughs) Yeah. And to goad them into it, Andrew Carnegie, who one time had more money than the US government and actually loaned the government i don't know a big money maybe 100 million dollars to make payroll he actually said one time to spur the other guys on he said a man who dies rich dies disgraced yeah and so he built libraries and i i read that and i'm like you know i'm never going to have andrew carnegie money but i got a laptop and a thumb drive and when they finally plant me if i can hold off for a few years Everything that's up here is going to be out. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not bringing anything out with me that isn't replicated in you know writing or electronic format and all of that. So I. I like that. I think it's noble, and everything I do. You know, my Facebook. I write on my Facebook. I got a lot of friends, but I'm writing. I'm very conscious that I'm writing something that someone's going to read 80 years from now. That's somehow connected with me.
3: Yeah. I got a competition with some of my buddies who can be the best man on the planet before we die.
5: Yeah. I'm like, I'll yeah. do you
3: in goodness. You want, you want to go? Let's go. Hey, I mean, it's funny because yeah. the first part of our lives, we were taught to hurt, kill, maim. You know, we're real good at that. Yeah. Not only that, we can get our buddies together and take an entire country down with a handful of us. No doubt. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That's terrifying. Everyone who, who loves, I mean, I, I think about that now at this age and we've gotten to the point where like Nicholas and all the, all of them back in the day, they didn't have what we the the tech. Like they they would have to spend all that money to get like reach into that phone and get the advertising or talk to that that person. That is a wonderful thing about that phone. Is like you can actually reach over and learn something on the other side of a planet when you want to. Yeah,
0: yeah, that love, that, that is amazing. I I love it. I I try to learn something every day and if i'm sitting there around 9 30 i'm like and you know, i don't know if i learned anything i'll go on youtube and like you know i'm not really sure how a jet engine works I'll just, <laughs> right i'll just put up a, a video then and everything's so on there yeah i'm i'm actually pissed that youtube and that wasn't invented when i was a kid because oh, i'd have been on it learning all sorts Are you kidding of
3: stuff me? you know it'd be a completely different life We're, that's a game changer right there man like Absol- I, I, absolutely you know, i mean what game changer
1: yeah when you can Absolutely. pull something
3: up there and be a mechanic it's, it's all the guys like us i like to see it and someone telling me and then watching yeah, them too. do it yeah. and to where you can that that's a beautiful way to teach yes
0: 100 yes, percent agree too. with that
3: man
1: thank you for sharing your story you're so fascinating i love hearing uh,
0: it. it it's my privilege thank you I, like i said i'm a big fan of of you and your family and marcus and morgan's service so when uh when dave sears told me hey look i put in a good word for you i hope it's gonna stick i was like oh man i hope so you know?
3: so, oh yeah it, it did bro I man I, I tell you it's been a joy to have you on i love it when when you can tell that you're a, a leader because you can keep wait. to i didn't even realize how far we've gone a I long know. time man we've i mean the conversations our, have just yeah. been yeah well thank
1: all you how man. can thank we you. help promote you how can people find you on social media give us
0: Thank you. I'm all over on social media. So Mike Etor, E-T-T-O-R-E. My website is FidelisLeadership.com, like Semper Fidelis, F-I-D-E-L-I-S, FidelisLeadership.com. You can just Google my name, Mike Etor Leadership, and, and all the books I've written will show up on, you know, Barnes and Nobles and Amazon and all of that. So... My contact info is out. I love leadership. If anybody's interested, um, give me a shout. And and I can't thank you enough for the opportunity to talk to you. It's been a pleasure meeting you. Yes, sir.
1: Thank you. It was great meeting you too.